Yeah, this was one of these ones that, that's sort of unbelievable, but it came from her golf coach. And he started coaching this woman. She was 62 years old. She'd never swung a club before. And, you know, they were kind of working on the range. She says, hey, you know, can, can we play today? Can we accelerate the process? And he says, okay. And so they step up to the first tee. She takes a whack. The ball avoids the bunker and bounces into the hole. So she made a hole in one on her first hole of golf ever. In some respects, golf is a practical game that can be simply measured in numbers. Scores and stats are recorded and compared to calculate our improvement in position in the game over time. But golf also has another side to it, an unexpected, mystical, almost magical component that exists on a different plane than the numbers do. I'm Colin Weston, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers and innovators who are boldly shaping the future of golf. This week, Max Adler from Golf Digest shares some amazing stories from their October Miracles issue that range from unbelievable to ridiculously awesome. So today I'm talking with Max Adler, who is the editorial director with Golf Digest. So Max, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for being here. Uh, Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me. So Max, we've spoken in the past and I've been following what you've been doing and I do consider you uh, an influencer in all things golf, but also in the future of golf. But to start with today, I think this is very timely because I would love to talk about the upcoming Golf Digest issue, which you guys are calling the Miracles issue. And there's lots of great stories here that you're going to be sharing with us today. People on the fringes that are pushing golf forward and building community to some well-known people also. So with that, Max, let's start here. Let's learn for our audience, our listeners to hear a bit about yourself, your connectivity to golf, and and yeah, just tell us a bit about who Max Adler is. Oh, uh, well, I'm just a lucky guy uh, living my dream job. Passionate golfer, played college golf, still like to play competitively in a few amateur events here and there when I can. And every day I get to go to our amazing offices at One World Trade Center here in Manhattan, where Golf Digest is one of several publications run by Condé Nast, which is the premier highest quality content we think is in the world, and try to come up with great golf stories to entertain people in the sport when they're not playing. So I've got a really fun job. And I think this issue that you're talking about might be the most fun one that we've worked on all year. Well, let's get right into it then. Let's start with a story based in Haiti. I, I really do enjoy the story. So that's all I'm going to say, and I'll let, let you run with that one, Max. Yeah, yeah. And it's just backing up. You know, this is the miracles issue. And we thought about what is a miracle? And the kind of knee-jerk reaction, I think, for most golfers is the, oh, you know, you make a double eagle, you, you know, you, people make back-to-back holes in one, things of that nature. But they're also kind of the the bigger stories where something sort of unbelievable or something that will never be repeated happens. And this one story that really tugged on the heartstrings came from Port-au-Prince in Haiti, where there was only nine holes in Haiti. In the earthquake of 2010, 300,000 people died. It was absolutely the worst devastation the country had ever seen. And somewhere around 55,000 people poured onto this little nine-hole course in Haiti called Pechienville to take refuge. And they ended up staying there for the next three years. It became like a tented city. The ninth fairway had all tents. The eighth fairway had makeshift water supplies. Uh, Sean Penn's team came and set up an office on what was the fourth green. And this entire course just was completely overrun. And by the time the camp got dismantled, it was totally left in ruin. They'd paved over it. And the little club there, they voted to rebuild the swimming pool and the tennis courts, but 
the idea of rebuilding the course just seemed way too onerous a task. Except this one guy, Sylvain Cote, who was a Canadian expat living down in Haiti on some business projects, decided, you know what? I'm going to take it upon myself to rebuild this course with absolutely zero experience or machinery. They had one backhoe. He got about you know a handful of the guys that used to caddy there to help him. And literally with hands and shovels, a couple trips to the Miami Home Depot to buy grass, they rebuilt this golf course over the course of another three years. So it was just this incredible story of sort of dedication and persistence to sort of save golf in this country, because without them, there'd be no more of the game in Haiti. And it's stories like these where you come across interesting intersections with the game in the most unlikely places that I think are so exciting. And I should note that the Adam Shupak was the author and founder of this story. So a great job by Adam. Now, with that was Sylvain. So you touched on this a little bit. What do you feel was his motivation for doing this? A love for golf, love for using this kind of symbolically to help get Haiti back on its feet? Or what, what are your thoughts of that and how that connects with golf? You know, it, it's hard to know, but I think it was kind of twofold. Selfishly, I think if any of us, we had our golf course, our one connection to the game ruined, we'd want to rebuild it so that we could play. And I think there was some of that with Sylvain. But maybe bigger was the sort of desire for a little bit of a, a social experiment, reveling in the idea of, of, of bonding a bunch of people from disparate backgrounds in a common purpose. You know, here he is, a little bit more of an affluent, wealthier guy from a different culture, Canada, living in Haiti. And he's putting stones in a wheelbarrow and, and, and grabbing a shovel right alongside people who are used to living on maybe a couple dollars a day. And they have this common goal, which is to build a golf course. And I think the camaraderie that came out of that ended up being a greater reward for him in the end than getting to play again. Now, I think this is a wonderful and inspirational story here that does transcend golf and really does connect with the human spirit and, and how golf does serve as a metaphor for helping create communities. And I really like how golf really does help embrace the human spirit here. And, you know, what happened there does transcend golf and it, it really does help build communities in a very positive way. So now that we touched on something that was happening in the Caribbean there, let's move to a story that started halfway around the world. You do have in this miracle issue, some readers' stories that they submitted. Can you start by telling us about the one about the world's longest lost ball story? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is amazing. I'll give you a little background on that. We, we had a solicitation in one of our past issues for readers to write in with their most miraculous stories. And it was just so fun pouring through the inbox every day to see what people came up with. And this one story, it, it was a guy from Louisiana, and like a lot of people, he collected a logo golf ball from everywhere he ever played. He had a collection of about 500 on a shelf in his office, right. except when he went on safari with his wife to Africa, and they played this amazing little course, I think in, the, in Kenya, where the fairways were cut by hand and scissors, and monkeys were hanging in the trees. You know, there, there was no pro shop. There was nowhere to get a logo ball. And so he gets back to the U.S. and he had left money. He tried contacting the course. Would you send me a logo ball if you ever get them printed? And they promised they would. Never happened. A couple of years later, he's playing on a course in Charlottesville and he hits an errant tee shot and he sees a ball in the other fairway. There's no one around. So he's ah, I don't think that's mine, but I'll, I'll go check anyway. He turns it over and it says Royal Windsor Golf and Country Club, Kenya which was the course that he had played in Kenya all those years ago. 
So he's 8,000 miles away, and somehow he comes across that ball. It, it kind of gives you chills. How could that possibly happen? And that's just one of, of, of several great stories that people wrote in with. That, that one is unexpectedly awesome. I love that story. Well, on the Mod Golf podcast, one of the core things that we embrace here is the growth of the game and the diversity and inclusion in the game. So one of the stories, one of the reader stories you have is from a woman that had never played before. She'd taken some lessons and then she teed it up on the very first hole that she ever played. So can you tell us that story? Yeah, this was one of these ones that, that's sort of unbelievable, but it came from her golf coach, who's a guy who's a PGA certified professional, has given thousands and thousands of lessons. And he started coaching this woman. She was 62 years old. She'd never swung a club before. And, you know, they were kind of working on the range. And he had this whole plan where he's going to gradually, you know, progress her to being golf ready to go on the course. And I think they're planning to putt one day, but she's anxious. She's eager. She says, hey, you know, can we play today? Can we accelerate the process? And he says, okay. And so they step up to the first tee. She's frozen. He kind of talks her through what to do and finally lines her up. She takes a whack. The ball goes about 75 yards. They're on a par three course, avoids a bunker and bounces into the hole. So she made a hole in one on her first hole of golf ever. First swing. Uh, <laughs> This was down in Florida, and it was so funny. I mean, she could have quit then, but obviously she didn't. Hopefully she was given some perspective to realize it, it all goes downhill from there. That <laughs> that, that is so, so unique and unexpected that I, I hope she appreciates the, the gravity of how great that is that she managed to achieve that on her very first golf swing. I think it probably took a couple minutes to set in and, and maybe even a more time to really realize the true miraculousness of that accomplishment. But golf's funny, you know, I mean, 30 million people playing in the U.S. and, and maybe double that internationally. And these things happen and they sound unbelievable, but they do happen every now and then. And they're just the best stories. Now, to stay on this miraculous theme here, there's another story. I'll just segue to another hole-in-one story. Can you tell us the reader hole-in-one story that was actually wrapped in a lie to try to trick his wife? Oh, yeah, yeah. This might be one of my favorites. There's a guy, he's a high handicapper. He's never had a hole-in-one. And he's got this idea that he wants to throw a surprise 50th birthday party for his wife at their club. And to get her up there, he's got this whole scheme. He's going to lie and say he made an ace. And like most clubs, if you make an ace, you got to buy drinks for everyone. So she might as well show up. And in the meanwhile, he's emailed all her friends. He's got people coming in from out of town. It's been, you know, weeks in the making. So he plays the seventh hole at his club, calls his wife on the phone lies about making a hole-in-one. Next part three, he makes a hole-in-one. <laughs> and so then he gets to the cocktail party. His wife shows up, sees her friend. She kind of realized it was all the setup. And then it took so long for the story to get straight, you know, because everyone thought he was making up the story about an ace, and then he actually got one. So it was just right. too funny. I, you know, I guess that much mental energy around something, and it actually comes to manifest. It's just, it's eerie. So was he, I want to say, double penalized? Did he have to double up the payment then? Did he have to pay for a round of drinks for the hole-in-one and a round of drinks for all the guests for his wife's surprise birthday party? Is, well, is no, that what happened? I think he totally lucked out. I think that was like a lot of clubs. You have hole-in-one insurance where you pay one or two bucks a year. And then in the event you get a hole-in-one, your tab is taken care of. So I think he actually ended up basically throwing this party for his wife for free. 
you know, I think his friends joked that they knew he'd really be too cheap to buy them drinks. So he found a way to get out of it. <laughs> Lucky man. Well, let's get back to the stories that your journalists have written in the October Golf Digest Miracles issue here. Can you tell me about the one that revolves around a horse whisperer? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is pretty amazing. So you just kind of have to brace yourself for this. You have a lot of people who won't believe it. But there is a woman, a very acclaimed psychologist who works out in Scottsdale, who believes that you can become a better golfer by learning to become simpatico with horses. And in fact, she trained the ASU women's golf team who won the national championships in 2017 by getting them comfortable around horses, even to the point where they could direct the horses without using reins, without using verbal commands, just being able to establish a mental telekinetic connection. And by learning how to focus away from the golf course, you could then take that ability and apply it to golf, this sort of very in-the-moment concentration. So it all sounds very woo-woo, but we had a guy, Bob Carney, great friend and colleague here at Golf Digest, never been on a horse. Uh, I think he's going to hate me for saying this, but I think he's north of 70 years old. Great players, nevertheless. Went out there and went through the horse therapy program quite skeptically, but in the end, he was convinced that he had some kind of eerie moments where you know he was able to kind of feel this connection with a 2,000 pound animal. And it's that sensation of connection that you want to try to recreate when you're out playing golf. So that was an interesting story. And it has legitimate backup. Anna Nordquist, who's won I think seven times on the LPGA Tour, she believes in this program. So it's, it's something worth looking into. Well, there's a certain mystical quality about that. And on that, let's continue with this mystical theme here. Now, you wrote an article in this issue where you covered an Indian guru and yogi mystic. Can you tell us about his connectivity to golf and the other things that you learned when you actually attended a retreat in Carlsbad? Sure, sure. So there is a very famous yogi, Indian-born, who just goes by the name Sadhguru. His full name is Sadhguru Jagi Vasudev. And he has an absolutely very large international following. When he hosts spiritual nights in India, he'll routinely get half a million people to show up. He's got a, a white beard halfway down his chest. He wears robes. He's about the last person you'd expect to play golf. But nevertheless, he's about a passionate 14 handicap. He, he took up the game a few years ago after he injured his knee playing soccer with some school children. And he's just an incredible guy. I joke that Eastern philosophy has had its little connections to golf over the years. You know, Michael Murphy's Golf in the Kingdom, famous Carl Spackler telling his story about playing with the Dalai Lama and Caddyshack. But while those are works of fiction, this guy is legitimate. And he travels around the world. He initiates people into his special method of, of yoga and meditation. And then when he's done with those retreats, he plays golf. He always brings his clubs on the road. And so what I did is I went to one of his retreats in Carlsbad and then played golf with him afterward. So Max, I understand he's 60 years old, so it sounds like a very active and vibrant man physically and intellectually and spiritually here. So when you were in Carlsbad, I also understand that you were subjected to a vegetarian and vegan diet. So with that, are you now at the Turner to Golf Course? Are you foregoing the uh, the usual hot dog and now having a quinoa and kale sandwich? Or what What have you taken away from your experience here? You know, my, my discipline, Colin, is not what it should be. I have fallen off the prescribed vegetarian diet recommended by said 
guru, but he really legitimately did get me to reconsider the things you put into your system and, and, and what the output is of that. He's a guy, he, you know, he abstains from caffeine, alcohol, protein. It's really pretty interesting. He sort of contends that it's a diet of far too much meat, almost like bad gasoline that causes people to be sluggish and to need to sleep nine to 10 hours a day. And that if you treat yourself much more mindfully, you can actually function off far less sleep and, and have amazing energy, which he shows to have. I mean, he travels all around the world. He builds schools, fights deforestation, lectures for assemblies at the UN and, and plays golf. So he's, he's a pretty impressive guy. Well, I'm not going to say any more about that particular article, so I, I want to leave that as a bit of a teaser there so that our listeners will reach out on September 19th, which we're recording this a couple of days earlier, but this is the day that uh, September 19th is the day that this podcast will be released here. So that's we'll, we'll talk. That, uh, yeah, that's the date that the October issue will hit uh, tablets of Golf Digest subscribers as well as the, the print copy getting to people's mailbox. Good stuff. Want to touch on another uh, article you have here. Can you tell us a bit about the pro-golf miracle moments? You call this divine incontention in the article there. Can you, can you, I know there's 10 of them. Can you even sprinkle a couple of those stories uh, into our conversation here? Yeah, you know, we, we tried to look at the miraculous moments that had happened inside the ropes over the last century of competitive golf. And we didn't really didn't really rank them, but we just kind of wanted to canvas the whole century. And there's a few that are more widely known that I think people would agree belong in this sort of crowning, like Davis Love III, when he won his only major, the 1997 PGA Championship at Wingfoot. When he putted out on the 18th green, there was a rainbow that appeared for just a few seconds at that exact moment. And anyone who knows Davis Love III knows that his dad died tragically uh, in a plane crash in 1988 and had a very close relationship with his son. So that was a miraculous moment. But then we have a couple funny ones that people probably haven't heard before, like Nick Price. Right when he got out of the Air Force in Rhodesia, he was playing a course in Zimbabwe and, and hit a drive. He kind of topped it a little bit and it went firmly into the backside of a bush pig and never reappeared. And it's just like, that's one of those things. It's a shot that could not be recreated. That's kind of a threshold for a miracle. Obviously, it's highly subjective, but we, we put together a pretty fun list of 10, I think. And speaking on behalf of bush pigs everywhere, I'm sure they don't want that one to be recreated anytime soon. No, also. no. It's an unplayable <laughs> lie. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, taking a drop from that would be uh, awkward, to say the least. So those are great stories that you have in the miracles issue here and certainly look forward to our listeners reading those to expand on what we've talked about here. So next thing I want to tap your brain and your uh, your experience here with Max is I know in previous issues and previous years, Golf Digest has covered the innovators and disruptors and the future of golfs. So with that, can I pick your brain a bit to get your top stories or the people or the technology or the kind of the community building and, and or the combination thereof who you see as kind of influencers of the game in the next couple of years, could be longer down the road, could be something big, could be something small. So yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a big question. Yeah, I think it's exciting where the game is going. I think 
culturally, we're, it'll be fun to see when people who are now 25, 30, 35 become the people in charge at golf clubs 20 and 30 years from now. Because at most clubs, it's people who are the senior statesmen, the club presidents. They're coming from people who are of a different generation and have a different sense of the way things should be. So 30 years from now, when generations now assume control, I think it'll just be a cascade of things kind of really loosening up, whether it's music on the course or dress code or families being much more deeply involved in club life. I just can just imagine a lot of, of great changes there. And then, I mean, technologically, I mean, who knows what could happen? I mean, right. things seem to be changing so quickly now, and, and that pace only seems to be accelerating. I mean, I think like I remember this from a person I talked to last year. She's a biotechnology scientist working out in California who's working on making plants glow. She was taking tobacco plants and splicing the DNA with the DNA of a firefly and sort of creating this little plant that could kind of have a little bit of luminescence. And so who knows if something like that can really start to work on a large scale. You could have golf courses where the grass and trees have the DNA spliced with this sort of luminescent quality and we could play at night. So, you know, <laughs> that would that would definitely radically change the game if you if you doubled the amount of available golfable hours. Uh, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a that that's would be an interesting as, uh, as, as you can get. We like those ones that are out there. So that that, that one is uh, one of the best we've had. Just want to ask you if, you if you guys have the data on this over the last couple of years. How are you finding with your uh, subscribership and readership with Golf Digest? I know you've made quite an effort with the articles and the positioning that you are making an effort to uh, attract a younger audience. So, how are you finding with your readership? Are you find it's with the efforts you're making that it's starting to skew a bit younger? Yeah, I mean it's. Basically, it, whether it's golf or anything, media is skewing younger. While our digital channels, I mean, our traffic on our website and, and the number of people who are viewing the Golf Digest video channel continues to, to increase. And who are the people using iPhones and Instagram and Facebook? But it, it tends to be a younger audience than traditionally associated with golf. But I think also not to be discounted is that there are more junior golfers and more women playing golf than ever before. I don't know what the reason really is, what initiatives have been most successful, but golf's gotten younger. Maybe Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy are partly to thank, or maybe it's programs like Drive, Chip, and Putt, but golf seems to be getting younger, and it's kind of great to see. You know, there's been all this research about concussions and, and trauma, and golf is a sport where that's not an issue. And so I think you know, junior golf is also thriving because of that. Uh, that's a really good insight there, especially on, on the sports that parents want to get kids involved with. I, I just read an article talking about just that, that a lot of parents with young kids don't want them to get, get them involved in, in football at an early age now just because of the concussion issues there. So other sports like golf are certainly a uh, viable alternative there to uh, fill that youth sport gap there. So uh, I do agree. And I also agree with you that the growth of the game is coming from both directions. It is coming from top down with the PGA and LPGA Tour and the initiatives and the players that they have there and the positioning with the game and with the product. I know that with uh, the Northern Trust a couple weeks ago, as you probably know, Max, they did an experiment by allowing people to have free-range phone use on the course there. I think it was, they still have to tweak that to kind of find that sweet spot, but they're finally embracing that and realizing that, uh, you know, it is 2017 and smartphones and capturing mobile content is not going away anytime soon, if not ever. So they have to find a way to make that work. 
And also from the bottom up there, we did interview last season, World Golf Foundation CEO Steve Mona and talking about the initiatives there with diversity and inclusion, both with women and millennials and people of color and really being open and embracing and supporting all the groups that are increasing the numbers and the awareness and the participation of golf in more diverse areas with people that have never been exposed to the game before. So I think that all this is really promising as compared to where things you've been in a long enough, probably even seen three, four, five years ago, golf was definitely struggling to attract a a new and a younger audience. And I think it's not quite there yet, but it's certainly going in a positive direction these days. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that you can analyze participation rates from so many angles, but I think it's also really the bigger forces. How is the economy doing? Do people feel they have time to pursue recreational pursuits outside of work? And if they do, golf and other sports thrive. And and if they don't, golf and, and other sports tend to suffer. So it's a good thing that people seem to be playing right now and rounds are up. It, it's promising. It, it is. So without naming names there at Golf Digest, with some of the older colleagues that you circulate with, how do they feel about some of the kind of the newer initiatives being put out there by golf, whether it's Top Golf now, which of course is now fairly mainstream and quite the juggernaut, to some of the other initiatives to modernize the game while still respecting the traditions? How, how are you feeling with getting the temperature of some of your older colleagues there? Are they embracing this or do they not like it? Oh, I mean, we're a pretty young office. But I don't know if these are initiatives. I mean, they're just basic. It's capitalism. It's people have seen an opportunity. And to go top golf, we think it's a lot of fun. It gets a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't touch a golf club to touch a golf club in, you know, in kind of a fun setting where it feels like a nightclub and you know the food and drinks are top level. We've had several office functions at Top Golf, and we applaud what they're doing. And anything that kind of yeah, stirs the pot, we're always excited about. Good stuff. Well, you certainly managed to stir the pot a little bit today, just as far as telling us these miraculous stories and your miracles issue that's coming out today, actually, Tuesday, September 19th. So Max, before I leave you, where can our listeners learn more about you? And also tell us where they can learn more about Golf Digest and all the great things you guys are doing. Oh, golfdigest.com. Easy to remember. Always lots of new content every day. Max Adler, the Editorial Director with Golf Digest. Thank you very much, Max, for spending some time with us today on the Mod Golf Podcast. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Golf Digest Editorial Director, Max Adler. To learn more about Golf Digest and a link to the October Miracles issue, go to our website, modgolf.fireside.fm, where you'll find links to the topics and content we covered in this episode. If you want to see more of Max's unique take on everything golf, you can follow him on Twitter at MaxAdlerGD. Next week, I speak with Clemmie Perry, who is the Executive Director for Women of Color Golf, which is a nationally recognized organization for growing the game of golf for minority women and girls. I'm your host, Colin Weston. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ModGolfPodcast, and we ask you to leave comments and feedback to help us continually improve the show. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. Please join me next week when we'll have more stories about the innovators and influencers creating the future of golf.